This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. Toting son of a gun, yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. To hell with any who don't believe in the USA Cause this is what I say I won't back up I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job But not my guns Tax my check till I Welcome to Trapping Across America This is your host Clint Locklear uh, Pretty much knee deep into trapping season For everybody I know that a lot of guys just got blasted By some cold weather and uh, that's kind of cleared up for some of you and it probably made it a little bit difficult and uh, I mean it, it got it got blue nuts cold down here and then it warmed back up so hopefully that's happening and helping a little bit of guys but the, the, the issue that I'm that I'm hearing from emails from that though is especially when you're dealing with stuff in northern parts of the country that get cold 
they're already putting on fat and they're already putting on heavy fur when it warms back up a lot of times there's a big lag time so if you're new to trapping or you're getting frustrated with trapping you know just keep kind of cowboying up about it because as the temperatures kind of cool back off stuff usually starts picking up and uh animals just like us when it's really hot we don't want to do nothing so uh, if, if you if you're somewhere that you know got down to you know really really cold and jump back up to 50 60 degrees those animals are going to be like me and you in july and a lot of times you're going to see animals are going to start refusing stuff they're just it's not that they're refusing it they just don't care they're lethargic they're hot uh, they're not going to be eating a whole lot they're not going to be moving a whole lot and especially on coyotes when it jumps back up in temperature after it's been cold a lot of times you'll see them, they'll stay almost in a core area like they're in a, a denning situation just to find enough food to go about till it cools back off because they've already got big winter heavy coats on. You know, they're not going to run 8, 10 miles a night at a lope if they're sweating and they're hot. You know, they do a lot less on stuff like that. So keep that in mind. Uh, we've got kind of a shotgun show tonight that... Uh, what I'm doing is, is I talk to different people and, and different things like that. Uh, and with email, I just kind of keep a little running list of interesting topics. And uh, so that's kind of what we're going to do. So this is going to be kind of a shotgun show. And I've got several things on here. And I don't know if I'll get to all of them. But I, it, it's, it'll be kind of crazy going around. But it, it's going to be pretty interesting, I would say, at the same time. First thing I want to talk about is frozen ground. Because... Uh, you know we haven't had that here yet in tennessee but i guarantee you it's coming you know want to know how i'm coming because i can open a persimmon seed and i see a spoon spoon means several snow so that means it's going to be getting cold and i bet up north they got great big spoons in them if y'all have persimmons up there but uh i think the winter is going to be pretty rough consistently uh for the most part going out and we're going to have to deal with a lot of frozen ground that's just trapping i mean you know that that's just part of the game and, and that's the reason most catches, especially for canines and stuff, are made in the fall. You know, it, it's perfect temperatures in most, most places of the country. They don't get a ton of rain in early fall that usually starts coming on and when winter starts getting here like it is now. And then, you know, it's a lot easier. Uh, temperatures start dropping, animals start moving. And then as the season progresses, a lot of guys get frustrated and they drop out because it's, it is aggravating. There's no doubt whatsoever. It is aggravating dealing with frozen ground. Luckily here, you know, and it's part of the reason I live here is, you know, we may have frozen ground for a week or so, then we're not going to have frozen ground for a couple of weeks. You know, we'll have mud to deal with, but we won't have frozen ground. And I can't talk about how someone in Minnesota per se is is going to deal with the temperatures that you deal with because when i was in alaska you know i was just getting started in trapping and we trapped on top of the snow which is very different than what most people do especially on the canine side of things so but i am going to talk about the different things that i've tried and what seems to work and what seems to be the simplest way and before i get into this um when you're hearing someone else talk about their personal experiences or whatever, go ahead and put whatever it is that you think is the right way. Just get in the habit of putting that on a box so there, there, you don't have any type of, well, that's not my way, my way's better, there's no ego involved, anything like that. Because I'm not talking, I don't do the radio show through ego whatsoever. All I can do is talk about what I've seen. And the other part is, in our, our American mechanized separation way of thinking that we do, where we split everything up in these little bitty categories and we drill down inside of those categories and we split that category and we drill down again, a lot of times that much detail worrying about little bitty things that really don't matter get in the way of trapping. So sometimes knowing too much about a particular subject on detail orientated and then you come across a little bitty fact and you get a red flag and then you just dismiss that whole category of what you just learned and that's a mistake because you can see it on trapping forums all the time people get all upset over little bitty things on someone's way of doing something because they you know they've they've read something or, or heard something 
that that automatically goes into why the other person is wrong and a lot of times it just doesn't matter you know to be honest with you it really doesn't matter but frozen ground when we get it here uh, it normally only freezes six eight eight inches deep you know on, on a on a regular normal like when we start getting into january and february it doesn't it doesn't freeze much more than that but we have a lot more of here is moisture and that that puts these little bitty i know y'all seen them and i don't know what you call them but it's like the earth grows up these ice crystals and then it, and then you see that everywhere because we have so much moisture that that ice is freezing and pushing the ground up and you know we normally you can take uh, something like a matic and pop that whole plug out if you go around it almost like an axe you can pop that whole plug out and then put in your regular dirt and everything like that now there's a few things that I've tried over the years and part of them is it depends on what the weather's gonna do if it's just gonna if it's just gonna drop down for five or six days and get really really cold even if it snows just having dry dirt will get will give you a lot of, of wiggle room the problem with frozen ground and moisture is that it freezes so if you if you put a, a trap bed in and you make it a little bit bigger than normal and you put some peat moss down in the you know in the bottom a little bit and you just got dry dirt that you can find most of the time I don't care how cold it is you can find dry dirt under uh, bridges especially up towards the top it'll be just bone dry and you can go under there as you're running your route and you can get a bunch of these the other thing is as you're driving around and you see blowed over trees a lot of times those roots will make almost little caverns in there and it'll be frozen on the outside but it'll be dry dry on the inside because it never really gets moisture especially if you've got some elevation so you can go over there shovel that out get you some dry dirt and, and go repack your sets one of the things that i really like using if i know it's going to get cold but it's not going to stay there for a long long time or we're not going to be getting a lot of rain now if you're dealing with snow on top of snow on top of snow i'd say it stays pretty dry till it starts melting but i'm not a uh, snowbird by any stretch of the imagination so you're going to have to use and uh, adjust what I say to wherever it is that you are because the way that I trap on frozen ground in Tennessee or in North Carolina or even in Missouri is going to be way different than someone that's in UP Michigan I'm sure if you can even find the ground once the snow starts but what I like to do if I know there's not a lot of moisture coming in I can if I can't find dry dirt or I'm too in too big of a hurry I can go to a hardware store and get uh, sand that they're using for construction it's normally always dry and I can get you know a couple of tubs of that and then what I like to do is mix in peat moss and, and the peat moss pretty much in this just gives it a organic look so it's not bright white and then I'll there's and I wish I knew the guy's name um, he does buckwheat holes at conventions and he just has them in feed sacks and they're a lot cheaper than buying them the other way because I go through so many of them when I do this and I'll mix and I'll have about 60% sand and then you know the other 40% is 20% of peat moss and 20% buckwheat holes it actually looks really organic now it is white and you may be thinking well if I'm in clay country it sands out like a sore thumb and it does but it, it doesn't really seem to matter so if you put a dirt hole in and then you go ahead and do your trap and everything in the sand in the, that mixture I'm talking about it's bone dry now it'll stay bone even if it gets really really cold as long as there's no moisture in it, it doesn't seem to matter and then where you have got your trap bedded in that as long as you don't make a little bitty sweet spot right over your trap where it looks funnier or, or, or whatever Go ahead and throw some at the the mouth of the hole. Have some go down in the hole. Make your your pattern of your dirt hole. Spread that out a good 18, 20 inches and let it fan out. And then put a couple of piles here and there because it's really cheap. And what what you have, it looks like the animal just dug in the ground, and that's the color underneath the ground, and it blends very well. And I've used this in several states 
where especially when I'm on the road trapping and I need something uh, quick fix right now, I can go under a bridge and get this sand and a lot of it's white. Like in South Carolina, I've done this a lot. It, it's pure red clay. And, it, you know, when that stuff freezes with moisture, it's pure concrete. So I don't want to be using that. But I can go into the bridge and get this white sand for free, mix this other stuff in with it. And then as long as I spread it all out and kind of act like a little bit of an artist, you really can't see or notice that that's not just what the ground looks like if the animal dug it out. I mean, animals cannot reason, I don't think, to the point of, well, if I dig over here and it's red, and for some reason that's a different color, I need to stay away from it. They don't seem to have that mindset. Now, if you do a little bitty fox set and you just put the, the sand right over your trap, it's going to look funny, and coyotes especially will stay away from that. So go ahead and blow that hole out with that mixture and spread it out. Now, one of the things that I've, I used to use a lot more than I do now is I would mix either water or urine and, and glycol or glycerin. And the mixture would be 20% to 30% of glycerin to the rest of the water or the urine. And you know, you want to use good, clean urine if you're going to be doing this. This is not the time to get in a debate over, you know, if black or, or, or yellow is the best. For this, cleaner is better. Because you don't want to give a food source smell of any kind over your trap. And you mix that water as counterintuitive as that seems with that glycerin, and all it does is cut it. And that'll get you, for the most part, uh, you know, you, you dig your bed hole, you, you got it in a squirt thing, and if you're doing it a lot, you'll do better off getting one of the little, uh, like, three-gallon pump things at Ace Hardware or Lowe's or something that you do, like, pesticides with or something. You can carry that with you, have it right on the back of your truck. Dig your dirt, dig your bed for your trap, spray some of that down in there, put your dry dirt in there, and, you know, like, after you pack the trap, kind of spray it down. It's non-corrosive. Put your top layer, pack it in real good, do your sifting, put another thing. But again, keep in mind, even though this is costing you money, don't just put it over the trap because as the, the ground is frozen everywhere else, and if you just have that over your trap, you're going to have a wet spot about the size of a trap. And an animal is probably not going to know that there's a trap there, but he's not going to want to step in the mud because mud's got water, it's cold outside, and cold doesn't feel good. So if he can stay out of getting wet, he's going to stay out of getting wet when it's cold. But because it's going to keep it where it, it doesn't freeze like a brick like everything else, it is going to look a little bit different. And just like that sand and peat moss and buckwheat hole mixtures, if you spread that out around your trap, it's not that noticeable and the animal doesn't come in contact with it just at your trap. So when they go to work the set, if they kind of step in it, it's a little bit softer, nothing happens. They take another step, nothing happens. They kind of work around the other side and nothing happens. They'll start working the set more as normal. And that, that glycol or glycerin mixture uh, is very effective down till probably about 17, 18, sometimes 15 degrees, depending on the, the moisture in the ground. And, uh, you know, the... If you go back to the old Bill Nelson way where he used a lot of urine, that's what I started using when I started using this. I'm not sure the urine really gives you that big of an advantage or not, you know. Um, but, well, the water or the urine will do the exact same thing, guys, when it comes to doing this. And if, if like, where we're at, you know, if you're in southern Illinois now and you know the temperature is going to drop down to 20 degrees for four or five nights, that glycerin mixture works beautiful. Once the temperature gets down below that at minimum 15 degrees, you'll start having problems with the glycerin mixture. Then you're going to go to the, the best thing that I found, and you can buy uh, calcium chloride, which is salt. You can buy antifreeze uh, from different uh, things. It's salt. I mean, that's what it is. That's what the calcium and calcium chloride mean. It's just a a bigger flake you know like you put on your steps the the easiest and the simplest which is what I like that I found more than anything else for dealing with folding ground is table salt now down to about 10 degrees here unless I'm in something like a field that has been soaked in water 
I can make a set as normal and I'm using the salt like I get from the dollar store or, or you know you can buy 50 cents will get you one of those that looks about like maybe not fully a quart but they're paper jars with a little spout on top it's really easy to handle and keep you can go in there for ten dollars and buy 20 of these things and that'll do a lot of sets and if it's not going to be below about 15 which is what i use now instead of the glycerin just because the simplicity of if i know it's going to be cold i can run by a dollar store which where i live every little bitty small town's got one i rate them of all their salt it didn't cost me very much money. I put them in the truck or the Jeep with me so they don't get wet. And then I'll make the set as normal and I will spread that over the trap and then I will spread it around where the trap is again so I don't have a perfect little sweet spot. And that works very well. Now last year it got down to a minus five here in Tennessee. That did not work. Then I had to go back to do my trap bed with dry dirt i put a little bit of salt in the bottom a little bit after i packed the trap and a little bit on top and i didn't really have any problems except for one field that um the the river gets over and floods it and there's crawfish and stuff in there and it's it's more of a black looking dirt and the moisture content was so high that it would eventually get into that salt and after about two days the trap would be out of business since I don't have that particular situation happen very often, I've never really worried about it that much. Then I would just go to straight peat moss, which is what I had to do to keep catching stuff, and uh, grass clippings with a little bit of salt over it. But even peat moss, guys, if you're using that in the bottom of those holes, after about 8 to 10 to 12 days, depending on the moisture that you have in the ground, if it's going to be really cold, you're better off to go in every couple weeks, just rake out that peat moss, throw it over to the side, and re-bed it in fresh peat moss. Because peat moss will absorb odor. And the, the, the reason peat moss is in stores is for gardens. And once it absorbs moisture, it's really hard to dry out. So if you, it's a product that will eventually absorb moisture. So if, if you're going to be cold and you've got a lot of wet and stuff every couple weeks, just out of insurance, if nothing else, rake that stuff out, put you some new stuff in, and roll with it. But the, the straight table salt, for me, has been the best. And I know people talk about deer and, and rabbits and, and all kind of crazy things. Well, if you're running good paying attention for coyotes, unless you've got whopper rabbits that are just going to be jumping up and down, that's not really going to be an issue. Deer do not really eat salt in the winter like they do in the summer. You put out salt on anything in the, the summer, spring especially, deer are going to be all over it. I don't seem to have that issue. I mean, that's, that's more one of those someone's seen deer eating salt, someone's going to put trap over salt, so therefore someone's going to have problems with deer, can't use salt, you got deer problems. That's the way that kind of logically you'd work through that. But it doesn't seem to be that way anywhere that I've trapped. I've had issues with deer. No more than I have when I use lure. Some lure just attracts certain deer. Some baits just attract certain deer. Some eye peel just attracts certain deer. There's nothing you can do about it. It's an animal out there. It's curious. And you're in their living room and you're making something that looks funny and smells funny. A lot of them, just like you, would go over and see what's going on. They pop your trap. But I can't tell any difference in that from, from using the salt or not. Now, I'm not saying that there's somewhere in the country that that's a really big issue. You know, there are certain things in different parts of the country that are issues to trappers. It's not issues to most trappers. When I was up in Michigan trapping, I tried using uh, O'Gorman's. What was that called? O'Gorman's. I think it was Plenty Couts. I may have that the name of the lure on. Plenty Couts, one of those that, that has that mini smell in it. The rabbits were an issue. It didn't take me about three days to realize that was the wrong lure to use there. And I've never seen it like that anywhere else that I've been. So there will be regional things that you've got to deal with. Now one of the big questions that I hear a lot about, and I want you to keep what I'm getting ready to say, 
Put Ego on the shelf for me, guys. Please put it on the shelf for me for this one. Wax Dirt. I played with Wax Dirt. I think Wax Dirt is awesome. It is amazing product that a trapper can use, and it doesn't matter how much it rains, how much it freezes. It does. It completely takes Mother Nature, for the most part, out of the equation. It is a super product. Now, this is where I need you to put your ego completely on the shelf. If you're running 15, 20 traps, 30 traps, wax dirt may be your answer you're still going to run through a ton of product every time that you're catching possums and coons and 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 non targets and coyotes you're going to have to remake that which is mean that's going to be taking out of your supply of wax dirt there's all kind of ways to make it with electric mixers to the sun to everything else if you've got a cheap way of doing you're getting wax flakes you know you can make you know several 55 gallon drums of it and if you're just running you know three dozen traps over a course of a year that may get you by but from my personal experience with it there's no way that if you're going to run a lot of traps that wax dirt works not really and, and the reason for that is if, if um, you know do, doing predator control work I've had times where I've been to Mississippi and then I drive to Missouri, then I go to Louisiana, then I go back to Mississippi, then I end up in North Carolina before I come home. Now back, you know, when I had the one-ton truck, you would think I could carry everything that I wanted to carry. The only way that someone can, like, take enough out of state or run 100 or 150 coyote traps for three months, you're going to need a dump truck load of that stuff to get through the season. Now, since I'm more in the the idea that I want to keep as much money as I can make when I'm trapping, I haven't ever really looked into it, but I'm willing to bet that if I rent a dump truck and a driver to follow me from place to place, I'm going to lose money. So from a volume point of view, that wax dirt is probably not the most practical thing that you're going to be able to use when it comes to that. But frozen ground is an issue for everybody. I guess maybe unless you live in Florida. You know, even in Mississippi, you get frozen ground and mud and everything else. So it's something you got to think about. But this regular table salt from the dollar store, I don't have hardly any issues with it. It's cheap. It's easy. It's easy to handle. And simplicity, as far as I'm concerned, rules. So if you're having problems, just kind of work yourself through that and think about some of the stuff that I've said there. Now, one of the other things that, uh, what do you do after a catch? Now, one of the reasons I like drags is I don't have burn circles. Okay, I understand most people don't have a couple hundred drags that they go out and use. So, we're going to take the drag completely off the table. The next thing is you can cable to trees. And there's a lot of guys that cable to trees, and I use cables too, and that really helps on the burn circle because you spread that animal out, especially if you give him... An eight-foot cable has got 16 feet. He's not going to burn in an area like you see when you use a disposable wolf fang or something. <clears throat> you stake him down on 18 inches of chain. you got a 36-inch circle that looks like a rototiller went through there, and it always seems to rain right after you make a catch. And you're dealing with an absolute muddy mess that's no fun to deal with. It holds moisture, which is going to freeze quicker than everything else after that point because it's basically rototilled. For fox, great. For coyotes, it's great maybe about half the time because a lot of coyotes will go into a set. You'll have certain sets on certain places that you can catch one coyote after other in a, in a burn circle. And then you'll have certain places that they will not go into a burn circle for several weeks. And then you'll have some where it'll just be either or. Now, when I was using just disposable stakes and chains, I would have to deal with burn circles. And the way that I that it just seemed to work better for me to keep my catch up, maybe not necessarily the less labor, but to keep my catch up, you know, I would do one of these little walkthrough sets or try to remake the set in the same place and 
you know, it never seems to work as good or be as good after that. And I'm talking coyotes mostly here, guys. Just because now you got something that looks very unnatural and you've got a ton of unnatural concentrated coyote odor in, in a three-foot circle. A lot of coyotes get turned off by that. From uh, what I started learning, and I didn't come up with this, I think I think the first time that I really got the grasp of what this was was uh, that Wolfer book from that guy from New Mexico. What was his name? Um, oh, shoot. I've mentioned him before. It, it's a book that was written probably in the 70s, and he had this thing where he kept make a make a catch, put a set right on the outside, leave the other trap exposed and snapped off, and then he would make a catch, and then he would leave that trap there, and he'd put a new set right next to it. And what he would do is he would make this chain of circles or burn circles going down the side of a road. And the reason that that was so helpful and the reason... I think that works. You have, most coyotes will go up to a burn circle. Up to. Now, it, you have some that will go in it, and it won't make any difference. But the ones that don't go in it, which I think is a bigger percentage, especially in the first five days, they go up to it and they circle it. They really don't know what it is. They're not afraid of it, per se, but it's just a ton of stimulus. And since they're a phobic animal, maybe that's just too much for them but they will circle it you'll see tracks all the time on the outside of those if you're in somewhere that's not pure sod or leaves so right on the edge of that if you make a flat set or a small punch hole set or something that's that's not over stimulating to a coyote those those traps seem to catch really quick because the coyotes will will have heard and smelled and seen a coyote in that area They'll go back and they'll smell all that concentrated odor, probably blood, and they don't know exactly what it is because they're not exactly little Einsteins, and they will circle that because that's their natural response to do to something that they're not sure about. So if you have a little tuft of grass or something like that, put a little bit of gland lure or a more of a low-key type lure, not the best place to be using probably boss dog or uh, gusto, or something, you know, GH2, something like that that's really powerful because you're going to be adding to that stimulus something that's a little more low-key like musky or a fresh gland lure or, or something like that. Whatever your lure maker choice is, it's pretty irrelevant. But you want to kind of tone those typesets down. You don't want them to be very visual. They're going to be right on top of it. You can make that set again. Right on the outside, you can remake the set in the middle if you want to. You can not make it, doesn't make any difference. Put a new set right on the edge. Now, if you catch a second set or a catch, go right on the downwind side of that one and put another little bitty set. Now, you can pull that trap if you want to out of the one that it came from and move it. It doesn't seem to really make that big a difference. But if you're making a catch and you're using chain and something like a wolf thing, a good disposable stake like that, and they're not going to be going anywhere, they're going to be sitting right there turning up the ground, go to the outside, make you a light, odored, and low visibility set, and you'll just be rocking and rolling right next to that. Now, if you are if you got reds in the area, I would definitely reset that trap in that set. If you've got cats in the area, I would definitely reset that set inside the burn circle but I'd also put one on the outside even with the cats a lot of times they act so squirrely inside those uh, burn circles that it gets it, it's hard to know what they're going to be doing and you can't block them anymore but a lot of times that little bitty set on the outside seems to really help and, and that of all the things that I've tried and all the gizmos and gadgets and different walkthroughs and pileup sets and all the stuff that has worked continuously for me all over the country when I was using those. Now, since I'm using drags now, I don't have to deal with it. The animal's not there, and I don't have burn circles. So it's not something I've had to deal with now for a few years. But if you're if you're using chain in a stake, then that's definitely the way to go, in my opinion. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about business. Guys, there's a book on the market called Zero to One. If you want to get into an ADC business or a supply business or whatever business, 
Zero to One is written by the guy that uh, half came up with Facebook. He's the one that came up with PayPal. Uh, LinkedIn, which I can't shut them people off, so I think they're a scourge on society. But he can't, you know, he helped founded that. He really knows what he's talking about with business. And, and there's two things I want to quickly go over for someone that's looking to get in a trapping business or another business. Zero to one, zero is where you start or where a market is. And one is really times 10. So it could have been called zero to 10, but zero to one, I guess, sounded sexier. So they got zero to one. And from all of the, the capitalist stuff that he's done, they will not invest in a business that doesn't go from either new in a new idea or in a market that's going to be times 10 better than what's on the market. And you see this a lot in trapping, guys. If you're coming up with a another cow trap, just use that for a blank example, and you make one where it may be 10 or 20% better, you're never going to get the market share to really make that thing go because it's not that big of a difference. And another thing, because by using this principle, not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying you're not going to ever gain a lot of ground because it's not a big enough difference to give you any type of monopoly on something. And we have great examples of this in trapping. When the Grizz trap came out, before before the 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 daggers and the t4s and the dukes and the fb1s and the fb2s and and i'm sure there's probably more out there right now that i don't know about before that happened gary had a monopoly on that for several years which means he got to profit from all of that now when you come out with a see that was a zero to ten now if you you go out and he had a monopoly not any legal one but a monopoly in a market now when you come out with a dog proof trap there is no monopoly to be had you can have some that like the fb1 the way they've done their uh the, their quick setting and it's push pull and you and kids can use it and the older folks can use it and uh, you can tune it towards like a race car. I don't think that's really a 10 above something else, but it's a, it's a drastic better difference. But they're still in that, that same group with everybody else. When the FB2 came out and you could really hair trigger that dog proof, unlike any on the market, it's better, but it's not a monopoly in that market. And y'all know how much I like the, the FB dog proof traps. So I'm not putting them down by any stretch, but it's not the same as when Gary came out with the dog-proof trap, the Grizz, years ago. He had a monopoly. He started from nothing, and he went to monopoly size, which is 10. It's hard to do that. Same with a coyote trap. If you've got one that's going to be, you know, it's 10% it's better than everybody else's, you're still in basically a commodity market of traps. And what do you have to compete in that? Price. When you compete with price, that means your profits are going to always suck. So if you're looking to start a business, keep that principle in mind. You want to have something, even if it's not starting when you want it to, that you can go to that monopoly side of whatever it is. And that can be in a control business. That can be in something as simple. Well, we talked about the permaculture food plots. That is something that could be in the dog food that we talked about. I can be in a lot of these different type type things. You're taking that to a completely different level that you can monopolize on that for a certain amount of time before the market catches up and makes your product a commodity. Just like the Grizz is now just in the pack, it's more of a commodity trap. Now we're talking about brands and features and stuff like that. At the beginning, it was the coolest thing going because it was the only thing going. You know, it's kind of like Google is such a better search engine than everything else they have a monopoly on that that's why they have like seven percent of search engines they have a monopoly it gives them money because they're not in the commodity side to do more research to make themselves better and come up with different products that they can do that with so if you're going to be looking at a business and i see that a lot in in trapping well he makes those and sell them i can make those and sell them 
well, you're going to be competing on nothing but price. And anytime you're in that price market, you're going to lose. Because all you can do is cut your profit, cut your profit, cut your profit, cut your profit. And that's what everybody else is doing. That's, you know, sometimes traps just aren't the very best thing to go in. Unless you can go take a trap from 10 times better than something else that's on the market. So just keep that general principle in mind if you're looking at doing a trapping business. It makes it harder to pull the trigger on something. And if it's harder to pull the trigger on something till you get it to what's 10 times better, you'll make way more money than you ever will if you're in that commodity side of traps or anything else or stakes or stabilizers or whatever else. You know, and I'll give you another quick example of this. I don't want to spend too much time on it. When KB Stabilizers came out with their uh, their flat stabilizer, they had a monopoly on that, and they probably, for the most part, still do. But then you had a lot of people at conventions that were making H-stands. Everybody had H-stands. H-stands were a commodity product for a trapper. The price was the same. Labor's the same. The only way they could get you to buy their product was cut their price, which means they made less money. Not the best business model unless you're going to go, you know, Minnesota, Sterling, uh, Cumberland's F&T size. You know, if you can jump up to that because you've got the money, then you can play in a commodities market where price can be overtaken by volume. But that's probably not going to be the situation for 99.999% of the people that are trapping. So, times 10 better what something is in reality, and then you'll be you'll be doing pretty good. Okay, I want to I want to go back to the past a little bit. As much frozen stuff as there is all over the country right now, um, I'm not sure where I heard this. I think it was from Johnny Thorpe. I may be mistaken, so don't hold me to it. I may have read it in something. It may have been from the Griggs book. I'm not sure. But this has always stuck out in my head. And this is something that we really, where I live and where I trap for the most part, I can't do on, on an everyday basis. So this is not something I ever got to really test. But if you live in Michigan or New York or Minnesota or places like that, I would definitely take a look. And this is an old school way to catch mink. And if, if, whether it was from the Griggs book or from Johnny, I'm thinking it's one of those two, they were very impressed by the amount of mink that was caught and the ease at which it was caught. And it's really a cool concept, actually. What the gentleman's doing, and I believe he was in Dakotas, is uh, he was taking uh, a basic trap and he made just a little bit bigger version. It wasn't a lot bigger version. It was just a little bit bigger version. And on the downstream side of the, the culverts that were wet, you know, where they actually had water and they would get shelf ice and everything, you've got the bridge and all that stuff, and then you go on the downstream side, and most of the time it'll be deeper there than on the upstream side, which forces, when it gets frozen, all of the, you know, if you have crayfish in South Dakota, which I don't know if you do, but if you do, that's where they're going to be. All the little minnows, all the little chubs, you know, all the, all that type wildlife is going to stay in that deeper pool right below that. And most time on the bottom side of those, it will shallow up again and, and, and even out. What's happening is the water's coming over, especially if there's concrete. It's eroding out of a hole which is making a deeper part of the water, then it levels back out, and then it flows as normal. Well, all the little food that the mink was eating would be in these holes. So what he would do with this little bit bigger version of a minnow trap is he would break through the ice, bait it for minnows, and drop it in that hole. And then he would repeat that. And he had hundreds of these things out from what I understand. That was his mink set. He ran lines with these minnow traps. Well, he would bait it for the minnows. The minnows would go in the trap. He was just using a one-sided minnow trap. The mink would go down hunting the fish, see the minnows in the trap. So you can imagine what a minnow does. 
when a big male mink comes down in the water and starts swimming around them, they go spastic, which is gonna it's gonna turn a bloodthirsty animal like a mink into Red Bull zone. So he's gonna start knocking around that minotrap, and eventually he finds the 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 entrance to that, and he goes in to get the minnows. Now he can force his way into the trap because he's in control. Once he realizes he's trapped, he does what the fish just did in panic and drowns inside of the minnow trap. And to me, this is cooler than cow snot in July because, think about it, you're going to a hole that where the food's at. You're going to use... Uh, dough balls and stuff like that or some ground up corn or whatever you're going to use in a minute trap you're going to have those already pre-baited you're going to drop them cut the ice drop those in there they're going to the minnow's going to get in there and can't get out so basically what you're doing is you're live baiting mink in a minnow trap and i don't know if this is legal so if there's some game warden out there getting upset at me may not be illegal everywhere but then you're having your, your food source, which isn't going to die because it's in its natural environment, and the mink come in and they get caught. So then he just goes through, I think he was running, if I remember right, a three or five day line, stay with your state laws, and he was, he was catching a tremendous amount of mink with very little energy. He wasn't having to walk up and down and look for the perfect blind sets and bottom edge sets and stuff like that. He wasn't having to deal with the snow and ice that was on top of the water. He was plunking them things down in there and catching mink. And I think that's a really cool concept. Now for you water guys, if it's legal, and I don't know if it is, but if, if, if you could maybe, I don't know, have some type of a, a trap that was funnel-based because people that commercial trap have problems with water all the time, Maybe if you had the minnow trap or a little bit bigger minnow trap to catch a little bit bigger fish inside the otter trap. So you just have to drop them in the water with a feed in there. Let the fish find the feed, become your bait. Now think how easy that is around docks and, and bridges and where creeks come together and undercut banks and stuff like that. That would be slick. All theory on the otter. I don't think it's theory on the mink because if Griggs wrote about it in his book, that was a mink monster right there. And if Johnny Thorpe was talking about it, I guarantee you he saw it and talked to the guy. Because whoever it was, it was actually talking to the guy and got the experience. So that's just one of those cool things from the past that, you know, could be a business opportunity for somebody out there. I don't know. I mean, if it really works and you promoted the snot out of it, I mean, everybody from old crusty mink trappers to kids could go catch mink now. I'm playing around with something that's it's, it's on the opposite end of that, but I think I can I, if it works the way that I'm planning on, I got some pretty cool things that I'm playing around with this winter. And, uh, you know, where I'm at in my trapping, I've already killed thousands and thousands and thousands of stuff. With my business at the level that it's at, I don't have to rely on fur anymore. What turns me on now is how I can go out and do things better. I've got a completely new way of looking at coyote trapping that I'm trying to figure out. It may take me a year or two to figure that out. I'm fine with that. And I've also got something in the works for mink that a kid literally could go out and catch mink if it works the way that I think it does or once I figure out how to make it work. So that's kind of where I'm at. And because I was doing this other mink thing, it brought the, the, the bigger minnow trap back to my brain somehow. So I thought I'd share it with everybody. Okay, I want to talk about something. Um, two more things that's, it's, uh, that's on my mind. And, and I'm not going to get very political with this. But I've met so many trappers that work in factory type jobs. Now, I'm not going to tell you if this is good or bad or Republican or Democrat because I think anybody that thinks the Democrats want immigration, Republicans don't. 
is fooling herself. And if you're fighting for one of them over the other, you're being a tool for both of them because they both want lots of cheap labor in this country. Now, if you're working in a factory in Iowa, per se, just using that for an example, and you're making, I don't know, $15, $16 an hour, whatever, someone in the factory. I know here in Dunlap, I've asked around, it's about $12. So I'm gonna, I guess I'll use Dunlap as an example. Whether we agree with what Obama did or not, or as I've been calling him lately, President Snow from the Capitol, and if you don't know who that is, go ask a 14-year-old girl or a 15-year-old kid and he'll tell you who it is. President Snow from the Capitol just signed an executive order on immigration. Now, a lot of that was, was hype. Republicans are screaming about stuff that doesn't matter. Democrats are screaming about stuff that doesn't matter. They weren't going to uh, get rid of these people anyway. They're already getting welfare anyway. All the stuff that they're arguing about on TV and have Americans at each other's throat over, it would have been the same with or without the, the executive order. But there is one caveat to this that's not being talked about on the news. If you really get in there and dig on it, that if you're in a factory right now, you just need to be prepared and I don't know how you're going to do that, but this is the reason I think every, every single American needs to have a small business, at least in a family. The, the thing that's going to make this important to you is the little dark secret of what Obama did is because they're not citizens, they don't fall under the same processes of an American citizen with Obamacare or President Snowcare, if you will. They don't fall under that. So now you have people that are legally going to be able to be out in the open that will work for less than you will work. But that's not even the issue, guys. That's not even the issue. Because if you're a better worker and you've got some skills, you've, you've put yourself in a situation in a lot of factories where you're still going to be okay. What's going to get people in factories with Obamacare, which I think is going to hurt a lot of trappers, but because they're not the same in Obamacare, a factory that employs 500 people per se, they have to pay either a fine or the, the insurance of the people in that company. And if you don't think that's a lot of money, well, then you're on drugs. So... I'm going to pull up my handy-dandy little uh, smartphone here, and I'm going to do a real quick calculation. Just so you know what I'm telling you is important. This is why you need to start figuring out another side income just in case this happens to you that you're ready. So there's 500 employees. Let's say there's a, a cost of $500 a piece. That is $250,000 that the company, because of Obamacare, even if they wanted to give health care or not, has to. And that's on the low side. If you're getting uh, health care from a company, it's really way more than that. But I'm going to keep these numbers. $250,000. Now, $250,000 to most factories would be a bump on their um, end of quarter or end of year statement, which is how they get their bonuses. With what Obama did with the, uh, the illegals is he's let them go into the factory in the open and apply for the job. Now, what factories are going to be looking at is they can hire this person at the same rate they hired, they got rid of an American for, but they don't have to cover them under the fines or the health care. So that means every month that they're spending, not $250,000 is for a month. That ain't even right. Hmm. Times 12. $3 million. Okay, so $3 million is actual number. So $250,000 is per month, probably, on the low side for someone in a factory to get benefits of health care. That's what the company pays. That's, that, that's per month. That's $3 million a year. Now, if you don't think that a, a factory would get excited over a way to have $3 million extra and still get the same other job done with the same other uh, income of money for salaries, well, then you're fooling yourself. 
that's what you need to be prepared for for what Obama did. All of the other stuff of, of all the crap that you're seeing on Fox News and CNN, that's garbage. It really is. Hey, they weren't going to import these people anyway. They already knew where they were, and they're already getting welfare. So it's it's that, all that's irrelevant because their kids get welfare. But what's going to affect trappers, I believe, is businesses. And I think Republicans, to be honest with you, through the Chamber of Commerce, has been pushing for immigration for all these years. They had this in there with Obama because that, but the Democrats and Republicans work together. If you actually use the gray matter between your head. And that's what the Republicans wanted, and that's why they're not going to repeal what Obama did. Because it's going to jump up business numbers, which is going to give a higher GDP, which is going to let them tell their people and their, uh, who's ever voting for them, that look how much better America is, because look how much higher GDP is, because these companies in Wall Street's now making all this extra money. If you think I'm joking about that, I'm not. You can look this up for yourself. So if you're in a factory, that's why you need to be prepared. Now, the other crazy thing I want to talk about real quick is, uh, you know, I, I get excited about permaculture and stuff like that because that's the way that I run my business, the three ethics of permaculture. And so it's, it's something I think about. I like growing stuff. I'm not going to apologize that for anybody. But I want to talk about a plant real quickly that if you're a trapper, you need to grow this. Your, your five-year-old kid can grow this. You can order them online through roots. You can't kill it. And you can't get rid of it once you plant it, and you don't want to anyway. If you live anywhere short of maybe UP Michigan or the upper parts of Wisconsin, Minnesota, something like a hothouse, which you can Google, I mean, just a hot box or a little bitty hoop thing to gather some sun, you can keep this plant going year-round in most places. I keep it going here for one reason. It's called comfrey. C-O-M-F-R-E-Y, and the species you want is Balkan 14, so it doesn't spread. Because like I said, once you plant it, you ain't getting rid of it. The reason a trapper should have this on his property, it's really cheap. You don't have to fertilize it. You hardly ever have to water it. It's, it's a good-looking plant. It has flowers on it. Your wife will think it's a hosta or something. When, and I've been seeing all these pictures on Facebook where these guys are getting ripped apart by 330s and their fingers in traps and going over barbed wire fences. And we've all seen this on Facebook. And for some reason, it seems to be more than normal this year. I'm just paying attention to it more. Comfrey is a plant that the medical, and I'm not a doctor, so go see your doctor before you try this because I'm not giving you medical advice, yada, 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 BS, BS. So I have gave that little thing. Comfrey is a plant. If you if you get cut while you're trapping, I want you to think about everything else that you do in trapping. Not only are you sticking your arms in bacteria-filled water in swamps, and you're you've got all kind of crap that when you're skinning animals, it's getting on you, and all the stuff that's in lures. I mean, you know, tra trappers should be pretty healthy because we're highly bacteria. Uh, used to the environments because of everything that we get involved with it's just not the cleanest thing that we do so when you get a cut it's more important to you than a soccer mom living in the middle of a city that she gets that taken care of quickly if you take comfrey a leaf of that stuff and they're big leaves and it grows into a pretty good sized plant and you mush that comfrey plant up with water and you make a paste i want you to listen to what i'm getting ready to tell you before before I tell you how good this works, you have to clean your wound very, very well before you put this on here. Let me say that again. You have to clean your wound very well before you put this on here. Whether it's a cut on your fingers, your arm, your leg, you run into a, you, you fall down a creek and you get your face cut, doesn't matter what it is. Clean it extremely well, then clean it again. When you put that comfrey paste on there and you put gauze around there, you your body will heal so fast. A wound will heal so fast that if you've got grime and bacteria in that, you're going to seal that under your skin. That's not a joke and that's not an exaggeration. So if you're trapping with all the nasty crap we deal with and you get cut and you've got that plant on your property, Clean up whatever you've done to yourself very well. 
uh, with water, bleach, whatever you're going to do, scrub it, make sure there's nothing in there, make a paste out of that comfrey thing, put it on that wound, and a lot of times before you wake up the next morning, it's it's sealed. It, it the, the 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 properties of that plant, this isn't witch doctor stuff, works better than anything you're going to get at the drugstore. And because of all the bacteria and stuff that we as trappers deal with, it'll keep a lot of us from getting infections and different things like that. Don't eat it. Don't do stuff like that. But put it on your, your skin. It's like if, if you're in the herbal, herb, herb stuff, it's like plantain times 100. But that's why I wanted to bring that up. I'm seeing all this stuff on Facebook, and guys need to get that taken care of. Because what good is waiting for trapping season? You get infected, and now you're out of the game. It's silly. Comfrey plant probably cost you $2, and you'll have it for life. Your grandkids will still be using that thing if you show them how to use it. And it's better than anything else out there. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about, because we're getting towards the end of the hour, is black coyotes. <clears throat> now, black coyotes, depending on where you're at, I mean, I, I don't know if you get, I've never seen one in Texas, at least not on the western side or the southern side. I'm sure on the eastern side of Texas you do have them. And I don't know how far north that you have those up there either. But they're really cool. And what I've noticed down here, they get in the, they somehow that the genetic of black gets into a family group of coyotes. So, like I've got a place in Alabama that I trap that every year I'll take one or two or three of these black coyotes. They almost always have a white star on their chest and they always almost always have a white tip on the end of their tail. Uh, it's very clear they're a coyote. They're really cool. If you're if you if you're somewhere that doesn't have them and you go somewhere that does have them, let me give you a little piece of advice. For the taxidermy market or for the mountain man market or for someone that wants a wall hanger, you can charge probably five times as much for that black coyote. That's a good thing. Because people want them. They're really cool looking. They really are. From a fur market point of view, if you catch a black coyote and you're all excited about that and it's so different than everything else that you have and you send it up to NAFA, you basically just gave them a coyote for free. There's not enough black coyotes that go to Canada to get graded out where anybody that's making coats and products is going to care one thing about it. It's going to, it, you know, you, you don't want an orange coyote because it looks bad. Think of a black coyote on the on the big fur market. It's like an orange coyote that's neon orange and you can't die it. And it's got a bunch of brown ugliness in it and there's hardly any hair. It's like that times ten. So if you get a if you get a black coyote or two or three, you know, that's a cool thing to have. But don't send it to a a, a international fur market. Sometimes at a local sale like here in Tennessee those coyotes will bring an extra 30-40% over what the other coyotes are. And that fur buyer is going to take it and sell it online at eBay or to a taxidermist or to someone that's going to mount it for the mountain man trade or just tan it itself and sell it to a tourist somewhere. That's what they're doing with it. So if you get, if you get one or two or three, or as many as you get, go ahead and get it tanned yourself and you'll have no trouble probably getting $100 to $150 from that thing. Just tell people you've got it. Guys will, I don't know what it is, but, uh, but red-blooded American males seem to be all over it. But I just wanted to point that out because I talked to a guy that caught three. He was all excited and, and uh, he was going to send them to Canada. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. Because up there it's junk because it doesn't match anything else. So it's not going to do you any good. But I kind of wanted to end on that. <clears throat> and uh, before I leave, I want to talk about a new product that I've got that I'm really excited about that I'm going to try to get some videos up here next week. And it's called Coon Whisper. And, and what this is, it's like a bait solution for cat food, fish pellets, dog food, corn. It doesn't really seem to matter what it is, but for DPs. And the reason I'm doing this is uh, I really don't want to be in the fish pellet or cat food business. But I've got these formulas that I've played around on those products. So 
if you go to Tractor Supply with Coon Whisper and you buy a 40 pound bag of fish pellets and I'm going to do a video where I'm going to see how many pint jars are in a 40 pound bag so you know exactly what it is and I think it's going to be shocking. If you're going to be using about a gallon of, of bait a day if you're running a lot of dog proofs or five gallons or whatever it is, a couple days before you go, you just take this, it'll have, it's a spray bottle product, it's, it's a pint. It'll do a whole 40 pound bag of fish pellets or cat food. And whatever you're going to need, you spray it in there, shake it up, let it set to overnight or whatever, and that's going to give you a commercial type lure that's going to always outproduce just fish pellets by themselves or cat food by itself or marshmallows or all the other stuff. It's a way for a trapper to keep his cost down, and it's a way for me not to have to deal with bulk fish pellets and cat food. The trapper gets the savings and he can make his his bait as he needs. Now we'll say one thing about this. This is not something for you to go out in July and make it. It is not uh, for for me at the price that I'm selling it, which is going to be $25, which is high. Do you see how much it actually makes? But for me to start putting in all the things to be able to make it stabilized and not have bacteria issues, I'd have to charge more money. So the way I decided to do it was to keep it as strong as it is with all the good parts that the animal wants without having uh, a home trapper or a home lure guy having to deal with all the bacteria and mold issues when you use fish pellets and stuff like that. So if you know this week you're gonna, gonna go through a, a three gallons of, of bait, you can just make it up for, for basically pennies on what you're buying regular bait for now and go out but still have that punch of using a, a tremendous commercial smell and all the attributes that come along with that. And I'm hoping to get that up on my store uh, next week and along with my regular bait solution and stuff. I've just been so busy guys doing in orders and trying to do other things that I ain't even got all my products up on my own store. So I don't know what to say about that except it's just the way it is. But I should have that Coon Whisper up there. The first one I'm gonna have is gonna be a smoked fish just put it on your fish pellets or your cat food, spray it on there, shake it up, go catch your coon on pennies on the dollar, and that's what that's going to be. So, guys, till next week, I hope everybody's having a tremendous trapping season. I hope everybody's having a blast. I hope people are learning things, and I hope guys are figuring out ways that they're a better trapper this week than they were last week. And I'll talk to you all next week.